Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater. And this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. You can support this podcast at Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. Say goodbye to expensive TV bills. Philo is the simple, powerful app for watching TV. You get access to more than 35 of your favorite entertainment channels, as well as live TV on demand and unlimited recording, all for only $16 a month. No contract needed. And there's never been a better deal. Start your free trial instantly with just a phone number, no credit card needed. Visit go.philo.com slash crime. crime. That's go.philo.com. P-H-I-L-O dot com slash crime, crime or text the word crime to 74456. Are you looking for a suspenseful new book to read this summer? USA Today bestselling author Danielle Stewart is offering our listeners a free copy of Chasing Justice. With over 800 five-star reviews, Chasing Justice is a can't-put-down crowd-pleaser. It's a fast-paced, thrilling story of a woman who is hell-bent on settling old scores, even if it kills her. Download Chasing Justice for free at any major ebook retailer or check out Daniel Stewart's website at authordaniellestewart.com. That's author Danielle D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E-S-T-E-W-A-R-T dot com. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about true crime, pop culture, journalism. And this week, we'll look at the very hot BBC America series, Killing Eve. Also, the Laura Bricker Brichter scale will be off the charts, talking about this week's episode of In the Dark. Joining me to get into that and a whole lot more is my true crime co-author, real life husband, and true life partner in crime, Kevin Flint. Hello, Kevin. Hey, baby doll. <laughs> If you're not wearing like a giant tutu skirt when you say that, it doesn't count. And combat boots? That's right. It does yeah. not count. <laughs> also with us is journalist, true crime author, licensed private investigator, former defense investigator, and our favorite certified cat lady, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Good evening, Rebecca. And finally, the novelist behind the City Trilogy and the Balls Deep Dive book club host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Sup, girl? <laughs> What's up? <laughs> Oh, so many things. So many things. All right. Well, a quick note. Next week on the program, we will be talking about the staircase. Can I get a like applause for the staircase? Uh, I have. Yes, because we had an owl situation in my town this week. I am ready. (laughs) Toby, by the way, the Audubon Society agrees with the owl theory. I hope you saw that on the Twitter. Uh, like the entire world agrees with the owl theory, except for me. Science yeah. agrees. Okay, Toby. People, Science people are trying. People 
people are trying to trigger me on Twitter. <laughs> it's not going to work. Think, then, okay, you haven't seen it yet, but are you are you willing to be open minded about what may be presented about I the don't owl think theory? The owl theories in the new episodes, though. Oh, I, th- is that, I thought it was. I think is it, it is. No. Yeah. Oh. yeah. We'll find out. Oh. That's what it's going to be. Oh, God. I th- well, I mean, I think it's all about. Well, I don't know. I don't know. We're, we'll just, we'll just. But I mean, if all of a sudden there's a I lot of discussion, real, who done it? Oh, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Listen, oh. I may not be. I, I may be on vacation next week. Oh, <laughs> Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. I will maintain that for me, anyway, mm-hmm. the staircase, and I've said this many times in the last couple of weeks, is the Citizen Kane of true crime. Okay. It yep. is the Mac Daddy, like big dog series that gives a look inside of a murder case in a way that like nothing I've ever seen before or since does. So whether or not you think it's stupid that I think an owl potentially murdered Kathleen Peterson or whether or not you think that uh, Michael Peterson definitely did it like if you haven't seen the series yet, Netflix is dropping all the old original episodes, plus the interstitial episodes, plus three brand new episodes today. The day this podcast is coming out, they will be available. Run, don't walk to your Netflix and watch The Staircase. Well, what am I doing here? Just, just as a here. point of information. Yes. Can owls really murder people? <laughs> they have to be premeditated. And I think they're just going on their natural. It would instinct. be owl slaughter. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think those are, yeah. Yeah, all right. I think well, those are sort of crimes of passion. It, it could be considered foul play. <laughs> oh, God. See, this is why I'm going on vacation. <laughs> this is some lofty terms good, you're throwing around, Kevin. Yeah. Just be careful where you go, Toby. There's no owls. Yeah. So I guess we'll talk owls, about well, that next time. We will talk about indoors. that next time. Absolutely. All right, all right now, Kevin, uh, you have big plans for this weekend. Quick reminder, where are you going this weekend? I'm off to Toronto for the first Toronto True Crime Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Festival, not mm-hmm. festival. Mm-hmm. Um, and you notice I didn't say first annual. Right. Because you can't have a first annual. There's no anything. such thing as that. You can have right. a first. You can have an annual. Right. But you can't have a first annual. That's right. You got to go to this uh, Japanese steakhouse place that I went to when I was in Toronto. Oh, yeah. What's it called? The Toronto Japanese I'll, Steakhouse? I'll, <laughs> I'll, send it, I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you. <laughs> Toronto I'll send it to you. Japanese Steakhouse. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, the Toronto Japanese Steakhouse. <laughs> it's, it's all on little skewers and stuff. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's called the right, Love sorry, It or ahead. List It. Japanese steakhouse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Kevin, uh, what uh, will people expect to see of you if they are willing to venture out and see you in Toronto this weekend? You'll be on some panel, right? Yeah, I'm going to be on a panel. We're going to be discussing the um, the rise of the armchair detective. Oh, our favorite, uh, not so favorite kinds of detectives. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> what makes them so compelling or dangerous? Why are they so hot right now? Mm. Um, and uh, that's just part of, that's one of the, the symposiums that are happening around all the different films. Yeah. This is Friday and Saturday of this weekend. It's going to be at the Royal, which is the movie theater. I think it's on College Street in, in Toronto. Look at you being a Torontoian. And uh, the Monarch Tavern, uh, which is right next door, is holding some of these talks. So uh, you can still get your tickets or your your all access passes. The place to go is Toronto True Crime Film Festival.com. Mm. And you can see everything uh, that's going to be there. So I'll be there on Saturday afternoon. Don't forget your passport. 
Don't forget, I will not forget my passport. Very exciting. And some of the films that are uh, going to be be showing are this one called Abducted in Plain Sight. And this is the one where it's about uh, a guy kidnaps his his neighbor like three times or something. Yeah, and like kidnaps her again. Yeah. Um, and there's the Stranger hostages, and there's the 25th anniversary of Monster with uh, Charlie Star- Theron in her Academy Award winning performance. Yeah, so a lot of good things to As watch. Warnos. and some good talk. So I hope that all of our Buffalo. Detroit, Toronto adjacent listeners, maybe make some time. Come say hi. You know what's next to Toronto? Mississauga. <laughs> Mississauga. Yeah, is the, yes. When I looked at the map, I said, that's Mississauga. That's right. There's no U at the end. It's just an A. That's right. Miss- no Mississauga. 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 Toby got in trouble for mispronouncing that yep. like a couple months ago. Yeah, I know. It's where the band Triumph is from. Mm. I think it's Triumph, actually. <laughs> Triumph. <laughs> Band de Triumph. Well, uh, another note, we want to give a huge shout out to apparently Crime Writers On's ultimate super fan, Bobby Desmond. He created, from scratch, a Wikipedia page about our podcast that is unbelievable. I know. First of all, it means we're going to live forever. Does it? Because we have a Wikipedia page. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Um, Toby and Laura, you both host Wikipedia page. Were there any details that that jumped out to you as being like particularly surprising that like this fan Bobby Desmond put on the page? The fact that you Me- can footnote anything about us is a little frightening. <laughs> yeah. Laura, well, I was going to say I was amazed at. I mean, it was incredibly detailed. I mean, he had. Well, they had a live event at the Hatbox Theater, and then they had another live event at the Word Barn. And I was very happy that he threw in about how I was using my power to spread awareness about the lilies and the cats. That yep. was nice. Yep. But just the level of detail, I was like, wow, we sound yeah. super official. We do. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, we do. And was, like, how long did it take him to do this? My God, yeah. it was amazing. There is a listing of every episode that we've done. That's right. And what the topics were. Right. And who the guests were, if we had guests. Right. And it's pretty, it's, it's wow, it's it's like the, it's like your high school yearbook when you start looking back and you're like, oh my God, guys, do you remember November 10th, 2017? Nope. We did Stranger <laughs> Things 2. And then we had, uh, see, we talked about Maura Murray again. Oh God, we did? Yeah. It was like that time on she December 3rd, 2016. Woods, <laughs> <laughs> she died in the woods. Can we just do it eaten we by an Connie owl? Walker. Wait, can we just do like a quick, like, yeah. this is something I've always wanted to do. Let's just do a quick episode of Missing Maura Murray right now. The crime right. writers on version of Missing Maura Murray. Right. <laughs> Kevin, what do you think happened to Maura Murray? She died. Uh, how? Um, she, she probably froze to death. Wandered off into the woods. Wandered off into the woods in a that suicidal state. Yeah. Uh, Laura, how does that sound to you as a theory? It sounds pretty plausible, but um, Bigfoot and or an owl may have been involved. <laughs> yes. uh, Toby, thoughts about what happened to Maura Murray? You know, people who are like making fun of this stuff online and then like Reddit and stuff, it's just not helpful. It's not helpful. No. All right. Yeah. So just, you know, knock it off. Just be constructive like Laura. <laughs> <laughs> that was right. Toby, I was constructive even though I talked about an owl. 
Yeah, is, well, it, is it possible yeah. she ran away to a new life in Mississauga? No, not possible. Also yeah. not possible that the New Hampshire State Police have a vast conspiracy to keep her uh, her fate a secret. It's just not We're going to be doing a live show yeah. in Worcester. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> okay, that's it. That is our episode of there Missing Maura Murray, Crime Writers on yeah. Style. Yeah, yeah, that's it, guys. I'm sorry, and I feel very, very bad for her family that her most likely death has been turned into a farcical mystery, non-mystery situation, right? Yeah. All right, yes. all right. And then they totally stole Laura's idea about doing the... Uh, the museum heist. <laughs> they did? Oh my God. That's they right. did. Pop- it's called like <gasps> empty frames, empty frames yes. or something. Which is basically what? missing Maura Murray at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. Oh, right. come on now. Right. <laughs> we, have, we have no <laughs> way of solving it, <laughs> but we'll talk about it for a long time. <laughs> did Bigfoot take the art as well? No, no. Bigfoot did not take the art. If Maura, if Maura Murray is taking that art and has, has it squirreled away somewhere, then we'll have... That's a story. I pledged, I pledged I would never talk about this in the show, but I did listen to the first episode of that podcast. And you know, like personally speaking, like those those guys are nice guys who Mm -hmm. make that show. Oh yeah. Like I don't actually personally have the same animus toward them that I have about other certain podcasters. Mm -hmm. They're nice, but they do spend like a good 15 minutes in the show talking about like having looked at the paintings and appreciated art. For the first time. (laughs) It's really, it's really something. All right. Anyway, um, speaking of other podcasts that we don't always, but sometimes do talk about on the show, I just want to drop a a quick bit of tape because, um, you know, I appreciate a good impression. And perhaps nobody uh, in the podcast realm does better impressions of famous people than the Done Disappear podcast with John David Booter. But I was catching up on that podcast this week and I listened through uh, episodes like five through seven. And in episode five, there is the most unbelievable vocal impression of a voice that I would think would be like super hard to do impersonation of. And that is Phoebe Judge from the Criminal Podcast. Support for Miscreant comes from Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans and My Father Dennis. Bevins Maroney was born to unknown parents in Davistown, Pennsylvania, and was abandoned in the woods. She was found raised by an elderly lumberjack and his dogs until she left the woods in 1975 and became a media sensation due to her bizarre upbringing. Journalists across the globe were fascinated by Bevin's story and charmed by her brusque, candid demeanor. But these journalists were making a huge mistake. I'm Dee Dee Butch. This is Miss Grant. Kevin, what did you think of this impression of Phoebe Judge? Oh, I think it's really great. I mean, everybody who is into true crime knows the criminal podcast. And I just, it, it was just sort of like the pace, and there's like a little breathiness there. The attention to detail. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. It's like those little things that uh, they make it really good. They do. And I just, I want to tell people, like, if you're not on the Done Disappeared train, but if you like good impressions, that's a good reason to get on the Done Disappeared train, because there are some incredible impressions of people like Nancy Grace. And then this Phoebe Judge one, just like... It's not as good as the Bobby Tall impression, but <laughs> it's good. It's good. It's a high bar. Nothing will ever match the Bobby Tall impression. All right. Moving on. Kevin, can you please read this for me? The Brichter Scale. Here we go. In this week's episode of In the Dark, 
you know, after somewhat nibbling around the edges of the Curtis Flowers case's racial components, the show finally goes all the way there. Madeline Barron shows us why there have been six trials in this case of Curtis Flowers. The first three were overturned because of prosecutorial misconduct by Doug Evans, where he improperly struck black citizens from sitting on juries. Court opened for Curtis Flowers' third trial in February of 2004. And Curtis's lawyer, Ray Charles Carter, watched as Doug Evans used every single strike he had, all 15 of them, against black people. Doug Evans didn't strike a single white person. Well, no doubt he was trying to get rid of all the black folks. That's exactly what he was trying to do. Ray Charles Carter and the rest of Curtis's defense team objected. They called a timeout. They filed a Batson challenge. They tried to convince the judge that Evans was intentionally discriminating against black people. But it didn't work. The judge sided with Doug Evans. And the jury ended up being made up of 11 white people and one black person. And that one black person had only made it onto the jury after Doug Evans had run out of strikes. I tell people I felt like I was back 50 years in time. (laughs) And I joked one time that I felt I was so far back that I started looking for Frederick Douglass to talk to him and ask him, what do you do in these old times? But uh, of course, that was just a joke. Laura, um, prosecutorial misconduct for uh, Batson violations, not once but twice, but three straight times. I know this is not the only thing that you probably reacted strongly to in this podcast. And in fact, each week you and Toby send me notes for the things we're going to be talking about. And Toby did send me notes in the dark and you sent me one note, which is. So I'm sure you know where I stand on this week's in the dark. Just when you think it can't get worse. Dot, 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 dot. (laughs) Laura, where were you on the Brichter scale while listening to this week's in the dark? I don't even know. I was so I went to the gym this week. To, I was on the elliptical because it was raining. And um, and I was like and so I listened to like the first half and I was like in the first half that I listened to, I was I was getting more and more angry as I was listening to this just blatant racial bias. I mean, not even bias. Bias isn't even the word racism. I mean, I mean, where he's like deliberately striking black jurors over and over again. I mean, it's not even a fucking secret. I mean, he's just doing this. Mm. And who who cares? Nobody besides the defense team cares. Everybody's like, yeah, sure, this is fine. This is cool. It's a whole, like, all-white jury. Oh, wait, we got one, like, token black person on this jury. Like, what the hell? But I, I just kept getting more and more and more angry because Madeline is so good about layering things. So the way she tells things, like, you know, you're listening along and you're listening along and she drops in a little... Like a little tidbit about like the judge and Doug Evans, our Facebook friends. Mm. And but the part that really sent me, I mean, the the whole thing about the these cases being overturned and then him continuing. And I think didn't the court say this was the worst case of racial, you know, they'd ever seen. Worst Batson violation situation. Worst. And then he does it again. And I'm just like. But the part that really, like when I was driving home from the gym and I was still listening, this is the part, it was a good thing there was no cars around me because I was like, I was losing my mind at the poor guy that was the holdout. Mm. This 66-year-old retired teacher who held to his convictions. He was like this kind old man. Listen to the evidence. Even the defense attorney was like, I thought about what if someone was doing this to one of my 
elderly relatives. Like when when we heard this judge just berating this this poor old guy and then putting him in jail, I was and now he's charging him. That's the part I was like I like lost my mind. I sat in my driveway and I was like, what is happening here? How are people? I'm never going to Mississippi by the way, ever 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 yeah. because I'm afraid if I look at someone the wrong way, I'm going to be sitting in jail for the rest of my freaking life. Like yeah. what is happening in that state? Okay, Kevin, I'm done. Have you ever heard of a juror being? Um, Hold on, I can't hear anything because my ear is ringing. <laughs> Did I blast Holy cow. you? What is happening in that state? <laughs> it's bad. It's yeah, really it's bad. bad. It's yeah. a state where the, um, and basically, uh, I, a detail that blew my mind in this episode, the scene setting detail that the Emmett Till monument is mm-hmm. right across the street and that it had been, um, the like the narrative about Emmett Till had been scraped away. And that, like, students who came to visit the site put up notes because there was no, it had been defaced. So, Kevin, um, have you ever heard of a juror being charged? Nope. <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> because a prosecutor didn't agree or a judge didn't agree with the jurors. No. No, I can't even think. I, I'm trying to think, even if there, there were some sort of juror misconduct which this isn't. Yeah, I mean, you would, <laughs> the remedy is to get thrown off the jury, right? And if it's you know if it's uh, you know post uh, conviction, you know you find again some sort of egregious misconduct, you know maybe it's grounds for the defendant to get a new trial, but, right? But as far as charging the for perjury, char- yeah, charging a which juror wasn't true with perjury perjur- because the transcript yes, showed that he never which asked is the even question. Worse, yes, but to say that you lied during voir dire, mm. and, is is he is he throwing charges at everybody else who was on the stand and mm. their 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 uh, testimony was impeached? Yeah, I could not believe it. it. Just certainly read as if this juror is being punished for being the holdout. Yeah. For I mean, being, for being, and I know this is this is like a charged word, but it's like this uppity juror isn't doing what we want him to do. That's what it sounded like to me. I mean, that's how it felt. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, one of the the moments in the in the episode that stuck out to me was listening to the I think it was of somebody in the community talking about the case and the juries and just saying you know because Madeline Barron does really great journalism in this episode the journalism in this episode is astonishingly good because they not only do the the narrative part where they tell you what happened but they also do the statistical part and the data part and she says you know 50% of the black jurors that sat on these juries like 70 something jurors Ultimately voted to convict. A hundred percent of the white ones did. Like sixty-five white jurors. Yeah, if my uh, math and, is and right. you know, so, so she's like, she breaks it down, and, and none and, of them. Yeah, right. And 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 she talks about that, and then she talks to somebody in the community who talks about the juries. So this was somebody on the, one of the juries. Yes, and he says, "You can take an all-white jury, and a white man kills a black man." You can bring them to trial, and if the evidence is there, the white jury is going to convict that white man. They're not going to look at race. But you can bring an all-black jury in where a black man has killed a white woman or something like that. Those black people, biggest majority of them, they're going to hang the jury. It's just a difference. I want to tell you something. We had some good, we, and I'm not saying this because they voted guilty, but we had some good blacks on the on the jury. I mean, that was on there to do what was right, 
and regardless of the color. And it was hard for some of them to do what they did. Some of them were, he says, good blacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I'm just going to let that sit for a second. This is 2018. And this is like yeah. the interview that we are getting. This is not like she's going back to 1955 and pulling up tape from like, a you know, some TV interview from like segregation in his times. Mm-hmm. This is like today, the good blacks, uh, the ones who were willing to go along with the non-evidence-based conviction. Some of that is like, I mean, we all have this thing where we, we think everybody else should view the facts the way we see them. Mm. And so if- What facts though? Well, if, well, okay. If if you sat on a jury, any maybe not this any jury, right? Right. right. And you saw the case, and you believe that uh, okay, this person is not guilty. Mm. You wouldn't. You couldn't get like. Why would anyone feel that they think that the that she is guilty, uh, or vice versa? So you start with the idea that a lot of these people are already going to assume that people who don't agree with them are wrong, and then you throw in sort of this. Racist? Racial layer on it, and Racist it sort layer. of comes. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm soft peddling it, but but you're right. Yeah, it just it's a uh, yeah, it's it's it, it's insane. It's a, it's a bad look. I, it I totally think it's is. Worse. Yeah, I, I just you know the legal system is about social control. It's about maintaining order and stuff. And I think in some places it's about maintaining uh, a social order from bygone days. In this case, I think it's about uh, propagating white supremacy in a time when you can't pass laws overtly to do it, but you do it through the legal system. Hmm. Um, and I think it's, I, you know, a lot of places I think it's racial. I think there's a lot of places where it's also class-based, but the legal system is used as a way of controlling, you know, social relations between classes and races in, in, in some places. And I think this is definitely one of those places where it's, you know, we're keeping things the way they were in the thirties, you know, blacks will know their place and, you know, the law will enforce it. Now, Toby, one of the things that I thought was really interesting was this tactic used by the prosecution, which we hear was a tactic. And then the jurors, you know, they interviewed a ton of jurors for this episode it was borne out that, you know, we heard about we heard about all these uh, witnesses in the case, which turned out to be, you know, BS witnesses who like didn't either were either coerced into testifying or who were somehow pressured into testifying. And Madeline was able to knock all of these witnesses out. Like we know they are all not telling the truth in these trials, but the same perception about race. On juries, the reason that the same reasons that Doug Evans wanted to strike all these black jurors for the same reasons he put black witnesses up because of the perception that he knew existed among white jurors that blacks stick together. I'm doing the air quotes now with my fingers. So if you have a black witness testifying in the case, then they are credible, even if there is nothing to like prove the foundation of their credibility, like even if they are a jailhouse informant who's a criminal and a known liar, because they're black and because they're sitting up there, they must be telling the truth because, quote unquote, blacks stick together. Toby, what did you think about that aspect of what we heard here? It's totally not surprising. And I think it's, you know, a microcosm of the general feeling in the United States. I don't I don't mean that everybody in the United States feels this way. But the way a lot of stuff is put forward is that white men are the only people being 
who are capable of being objective outside of sort of an identity so that women will stick together and Latinos will stick together and blacks will stick together and gays will stick together. I mean, it comes up all the time, like in the Supreme Court, where it's like you can't have Sonia Sotomayor on the Supreme Court because she's going to be like, you know, she's not going to be able to fairly judge any Latino. Mm. Again, it's like there's this default that like white men can look at things objectively mm. and then everybody people, else yep. kind of – I think it's even white men. Like I, I think women you know, are – I don't disagree. Are, 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 are also seen as being suspicious and that they will be – they'll sort of emotionally bond with other women and that will keep them from reasoning things through. Right. I mean I think that's a popular perception and, you know, it's just it's, – it's again, it's like, you know, there's no way that – a black person would like try and screw another black person. Toby, do you remember happen. like uh, years ago? It's like two years ago. We first started this podcast, and one of those crazy um, Reddit subreddits that are like anti Adnan Syed subreddits. Yeah, they were talking about our podcast, and <laughs> the people on this subreddit, and, and both Toby and I were engaging on this subreddit, and they were like saying horrible, like racist, crazy things about like Rabia and like horrible, racist, crazy things. But like we were only engaging because they talked about our show. And like one of the theories that was put out there about us in talking about the Adnan Syed case is that Toby is a logical thinker capable of looking at facts <laughs> and balancing them in the whole and that Rebecca is incapable of looking at facts oh. and balancing them in the whole, she lets emotions get in the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what's your What's your point? Yeah, what's <laughs> that women are emotional and men are rational. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Is it the Toby no, Ball no, scale no, we're was, talking no, about here? But that was a classic, like you know, because it was on the uh, it was on the Adnan Gilters. Yes, and because I was the only one who wasn't like totally Adnan is innocent. Yep. Like that meant that I was like smart and analytical. That's right. Whereas <laughs> oh, the, Reddit, the people I mean. who were on the but it wasn't were just on your the uh, non innocenters, like there was that who's who's that guy who does the uh, the videos, who do the videos every once in a while. And there was one he was talking about crime writers on. He's like, and Toby, I don't even know where that guy's coming from. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> Sorry, dude. <laughs> well, neither do we. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Welcome to the club. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Three and a half years later, people are still trying to figure it out. So, Kevin, you have a judge here who knows that Doug Evans has been not only accused, but like verdicts have been overturned because of his prosecutorial misconduct. Mm-hmm. Three have, times. You have lawyers who, in a, a good effort for the defense, are just trying to get him to stop doing the same thing he did in previous trials. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, let's not let him have any like more strikes because... We know, like, he's not good at this. Yeah. And then you have judges who are like, yeah, no, let's just let him do what he's going to do. Thoughts? Not about the judge, but certainly about Doug Evans. I would say if the the higher court, if the Supreme Court finds that you committed prosecutorial misconduct and you had to retry the case, you ought to be thinking very hard about the mistake that you made the first time and try not to do that the second time. Or the third time. Or the third time. Or the fourth time. Or the fourth time. (laughs) Yeah. That would be like the one thing that I would be really, (laughs) you know, like, okay, fine. You know, you say, all right, then I won't do that. And and it's just, I I think it's just, I'm sure all the other cases that get tried, not just like the murder cases, but anytime you have a black defendant, I'm sure that is the first move, is to just start striking all of the 
the black jurors. I don't know if the defense was starting to strike all the white jurors. No. Um, but That's not how it works. Oh, no. so, well, I'd be like, well, take that. Uh, <laughs> but, you know. But the, it doesn't work that no, way. No, right. And it shouldn't work that way. But, you know, A, not only because you're, you're violating the defendant's rights, but as a, as a matter of jury strategy, you know, you should be listening to what these people actually think. Are they are they open to the if you're in the defense? Are they open to the idea that maybe this defendant isn't isn't guilty? You know, you really have to analyze the individuals to find out whether or not 12 people can render uh, the verdict that you're hoping for. You can't just look at the color of their skin and say, oh, yeah, OK, that's a guilty vote right Kevin, there. We heard that Doug Evans lied. We heard that he lied. He said that he yeah. was striking. Oh, a shit. Yeah. Oh, I know. Because, the guy that was oh, sleeping yeah. that was awake. And even the judge agreed on that one. And then oh, he was yeah. also like, you know. he was in a gang. Oh, just kidding. Oh, it turns out he wasn't. Oh, I, That's yeah. horrible. Yeah. I, I just, I'd, I'd like to just like sort of softly disagree with, with Kevin in that I think you can tell by the color of their skin because 100% of the white people voted him guilty every 100% time. 100% so of the think, time. They did. Yeah. So well, I think I think that that's a pretty compelling case to get as many white people on if you're the prosecutor and you're a racist. Yeah. I don't disagree. I, the data shows that 100% of those jurors who were white in that state voted for guilt every time, despite the fact that we now know, and this is not my opinion, we know it because we have now seen and heard all of the things that the jurors mm-hmm. saw and heard, that there was no case against this man. There was oh, no yeah. case. I know that those 12 and the other 12 and the next 12, that they, <laughs> we know how they voted. I just, I'm... Just not going to go the next step and say there are no good whites that the, that in any of those jury pools that of the hundred people who come in that you couldn't find twelve white people who could have an open mind in that and community. Could possibly, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think, think you could. could. I think, think he's probably could? got a pretty good. I think he's probably got a pretty good eye for those guys too. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, he got the twelve that he wanted to get. Mm. Yeah, and he I, does. I know. just yeah. I mean, there's there, you can't say that like an entire town in Mississippi. Like every white person that, is that's what I'm saying. Vote 100 percent of the time to yeah. convict black people for yeah. for crimes they didn't do. I mean, I don't. I'm starting to think in but, this town that's but, the case. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no. I am. But we we can't deny the facts of what happened. We can't. Yeah. And so, yeah. Laura, are you looking forward to hearing? We heard a little preview of next week's episode. Uh, I don't know how yes. much Doug Evans we're actually going to hear. It might just be literally a Madeline Van walking into his office and him just being like, "You need to leave." Yeah. Uh, but oh, by are, the way, can I just make one last point on that? Sure. Okay. Yeah, you could say those 12 people, maybe you say that there's, you know, that they're racist and there's darkness in their hearts and that's the reason why they gave a guilty, they voted guilty. Remember, the case that they heard is the case that Doug Evans told them and embellished for them. We already heard yeah. that. So yeah. part of the fact is that, he oh, that sounds like a really compelling case. Well, it was a lot of bullshit. That's why it was he, so compelling. One of the things was overturned because he stated facts not in evidence. That's yes. the thing that I think that they sort of, when it yeah. went by very quickly, he would just get up and say things that weren't true. Which, yeah. And I, this, I, I also, this boggles my mind. This just boggles my mind that they keep electing this guy. Like, what? what well, is going a, on? That's the problem with the system. Yeah. I just, yeah. It, I mean, it's amazing to me. It doesn't, that doesn't make sense. And I also just want to make clear that the point isn't that every single one of these white people who voted to convict them is a racist, but- it it is a it's a system that supports white supremacy by allowing a prosecutor to get away with with sitting on white juries. Yeah. We I, don't need to stand up for white people, guys. Uh, yeah, I think the nicest thing you white, can white, say no, is I, that it disadvantages black. It's not, it's not fair to say all sixty three of these people 
were racist. I mean, I don't think that's... They gave... The, the verdicts were racist because no, the evidence no, they were given was racist because the system in Mississippi who prosecuted this man six times for the and, and where their prosecutorial misconduct was not only like allowed but excused that system is racist it's a racist system and, and i system and listen is. and listen we can quibble and say like hey maybe like 50 of those 70 people yeah. were actually nice it doesn't matter it doesn't matter and i think that they're going to be fine and we don't need to stand up for those 70 white people i just don't think we do they're going to be fine it's curtis flowers it was not fine no so here's my question i have one important question I want to know if it's revealed next week. Is Cookie friends with Doug Evans on Facebook? <laughs> <laughs> now, Kevin, uh, you actually did say that uh, it's on the judge, not on Doug Evans, that Re- they're friends on Facebook. Rebecca, right? are you Facebook friends with any defense attorneys? I am Facebook friends with so many people that I cover, not only in our books, you, but also in our newsroom. Are you Facebook friends with any judges? And politicians, yeah. And any cops? Yep. Guess what? Because that's how Facebook works. That's just how Facebook... Yeah, that doesn't mean that you're having Thanksgiving dinner with each other. It's kind of on the judge. Because if anybody has Facebook, yeah. and you have a thousand... Fa- at this point, a thousand Facebook friends, you know, it's kind of... How many... How, everybody knows. How many bullshit? You're like, oh, yeah, I went to high school. Click. Okay, whatever. And they run for office. And they run for office. And you're a journalist. But, yes. but that's, not, that's not on you. Right. But it is on the it judge, should, It was on the, the, the judge. The judge should be aware the of the perception of yes, that. The judge, yeah. the judge is responsible for unfriending all of the conflict of interest stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I know a judge who's uh, um, a federal judge, and he says like he's leading a monastic life. He used to be very active. In the, he's very selective about where he is and where right. he goes because he just has to... He just has to put up, you know, some of these these walls. Yeah. This case, like, really, it really fires me up. It does. It fires me. Like when I fire up the grill for my Omaha Steaks. <laughs> <laughs> Omaha Steaks you delivers. Could, you could probably grill one of those on Laura's floor. Oh, my God. <laughs> we could put one of those pork chops right on your, your, your skull. <laughs> Omaha Steaks deliver hand-trimmed. Flash frozen and vacuum sealed meats directly to your door in an Omaha Steaks cooler, and it's Father's Day, and we've got some great deals from Omaha Steaks. You ready to hear everything? Sure. Okay, they're so confident. They made a giant list here for me to read. Go ahead. Each and every one thing. Do it. Okay? You ready at home? Get your pencils out for $49.99. That's 78% off. This is what you can get. Two filet mignon, two sirloin, four chicken fried steaks. Two boneless pork chops, four all-beef Omaha steak burgers, four jumbo franks, 12 ounces of all-beef meatballs, one pound of steakhouse fries, four caramel apple tartlets, one Omaha steaks seasoning pack, and a partridge in a pear tree. Mm. No, oh, forgot this one. Four more Omaha steak burgers free with the purchase. Again, that's a limited time package for only $49.99. When you go to omahasteaks.com, you type in the word crime in the search bar. And uh, you add the Father's Day package to your cart. I love it because it comes right to the door. You put it in the freezer. You can have it all summer. Let's face it. You love those apple tartlets. I do. You do. I do. That's the your steak's thing. great, but damn, I like me some tartlets. Omaha needs to come up with an apple tartlets package just for Kevin Flynn. <laughs> Go to omahasteaks.com <laughs> and type code CRIME, CRIME in the search bar to get this amazing deal. Don't wait. This offer ends soon. What else you got, Kevin? Well, every family has that member who tells the best stories, and so StoryWorth makes it easy and fun for your loved ones to share those stories. So with StoryWorth, it's a subscription that you purchase for somebody you love, and each week StoryWorth emails them a question about their life. A little prompt to kind of get something out of them so they can like tell their life story mm. 
it ends up being a great thing that you can share with uh, the cousins and the kids and the grandkids. It's really easy for the people to do. You, I think what you want to do now, think about with Father's Day. Send this to your father. Get him signed up. And you know, it's a, if your father's like mine, doesn't talk a lot, right? Give him this prompt, and, the, and then every week he'll have to come up with the story. He'll, he'll reply, you know, with either by email or on the web. You can use the app. And what will happen is throughout the year, they'll take all of these stories and they will bind it in a beautiful hardcover printed book. StoryWorth makes it easy to preserve your memories and pass them on to your children for their future families. To get $20 off when you subscribe, visit storyworth.com slash crime. Crime. Yeah, I can't wait to hear my dad's story. He already sent me one. It was about the time uh, that he got his first job. Hmm. It's a really good story. It happened to be uh, he was working at a um, at uh, a little diner, mm-hmm. and he later ended up buying the diner with his friend. That's $20 off when you subscribe. Visit storyworth.com slash crime. Crime. Moving on. Moving on. BBC America has a new hit with a limited series, Killing Eve, an American-bred Brit, goes from desk jockey to head of a secret unit tracking a skilled assassin who is striking throughout Europe. Sandra Oh plays Eve, and Judy Comer gives a knockout performance as the villainous Villanelle, a killer who revels in being a, maybe, sociopath. When was the last time you worked? Yesterday. Was it a successful mission? Yes. I shot him twice in the heart and watched the spark drain from his eyes. Did you talk to him? A little. Hmm? He said he had children and offered me money. What did you feel when he said those things? Impatient. This cat and mouse thriller that bounces around the continent is both suspenseful and playful with compelling characters and crackling dialogue. As Villanelle tells her hunter, you should never tell a psychopath they're a psychopath. It upsets them. <laughs> Killing Eve is still available on demand for BBC America viewers and will be available on Hulu later this year. We will be giving away spoilers in the first season of Killing Eve. If you want to just jump ahead to our spoiler-free thumbs-up or thumbs-down review, fast-forward to the time code in the show notes. I just want to talk about uh, Sandra O oh for a second in this show. My first reaction in watching the first couple episodes of Killing Eve especially, I was angry. I was angry at Shonda Rhimes and Grey's Anatomy because Sandra Oh in this show is a revelation. Mm -hmm. And I think in Grey's Anatomy, they perhaps saw some of that and then they just kind of like hemmed her into this like little part of the character, which is like driven. And, you know, it's always like the same with her character in Grey's Anatomy. And on this show, it's just like. Oh, my God, this is a great American actress that we have not actually seen because she was stuck in this stupid role in Grey's Anatomy. Kevin, what do you think? Yeah, it really plays to her strengths where she has that that sort of baby doll look of confusion that she turns on so well. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. And she can switch gears like that. And she's really compelling. And I just I don't know. I know that this is based on a series of uh, novellas. Mm-hmm. And I don't know uh, what the character Eve is written in the book, but I just can't imagine like when they were writing this together, they said, hmm, who should be this MI6 Desk jockey turned spy. Hmm, I know Sandra O. Oh. Right. I just I think it's a great bit of casting. Right. And you know she gives a strong performance. And I think for as good as she is, I think she's still just the second best. Which actress. is amazing. Yeah. But Laura, you had thoughts about the casting too, right? Yeah. No, I thought it was great. And you know, I think that 
Sandra O oh was really great in this role, um, as you guys were saying, because my only exposure, like you, was Grey's Anatomy, which I stopped watching because I kind of got sick of it after like I don't know, a few eighteen seasons. years. Seriously? Yeah. Seriously? <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't one of those those people that held out. I, I ended it. But you know, I just felt like the whole the whole casting everywhere was great. Um, I loved the woman that was cast as Villanelle, who mm-hmm. was able to turn back and forth between being comical and also being like a cold blooded killer so quickly. But it just it was great. This was um, one of the first um, shows in in recent history that uh, Ken has actually agreed to watch the whole series with me, mm-hmm. and he actually he has a rule: he will only watch like one, maybe two episodes of a show. And then he's like, no, that's enough. I'm not going to watch it all. He actually watched like four episodes in a row of this. So I Mm. think that says something. (laughs) Now, uh, Toby, one of the things I want to talk about is the establishing a Villanelle scene. We see this early scene in the series where she's sitting in an ice cream shop. We have this like, you know, beautiful, angelic looking woman sitting with her gelato, smiling, trying to... um, ape the facial expressions of a little girl across the way which is our first sign that something's off and it's kind of sweet we're like oh there's something off with this woman where she's trying to get this girl to smile at her and she realizes oh i need to actually like smile back in a genuine way and she does it and you feel the sense of accomplishment that maybe she's gone like grown a little bit and then on the way out of the ice cream shop, she smashes the little girl sunday <laughs> sort of showing that for her it's a, a game I thought that was a great character establishing tiny little scene. Uh, what do you think of how they sort of set up these two characters kind of coming at each other in the first couple episodes of this series? Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't think I liked the series as much as, as you guys did, but I thought the first three episodes were great. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's part of it is is getting to know the characters a little bit. And I think the characters for the first three episodes are both sort of unusual and compelling and... You know, in some ways, I thought that was the best scene of the entire mm. show was that scene. It wasn't that it did it like super efficiently because it wasn't like a really short, short scene. I mean, they, they kind of draw it out a little bit in a way that's good. But it was just, you know, with a minimal bit of action, like you're like, OK, like she's there, there's something going on here. Right. And then it's it's entirely consistent with everything else you find out about her. Like, it, it's just like a little microcosm of her. And then I think, you know, again, Sandra, Sandra oh, I've never watched Grey's Anatomy. So I think I've You're I lucky. Have recognized her from ads or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, she's really good. I mean, she's very, um, she, she plays an interesting character of someone who's smart and normal. She's like, it's sort of a smart, normal person in a totally abnormal job. Right. And, and that really comes across and I think part of it is her and to a certain extent her husband, or maybe her husband and to a certain extent her, like kind of coming to terms with the fact that it's not this going into the office mm-hmm. job anymore right. that she was doing. Well, I think that the, you know, one of the things that a lot of people are talking about about this show is the very female centric storyline here. And it's borne out in a way that is. Very overt, obviously, it's not in some point you have three female leads in the show. Uh, and then you also have all these very interesting female side characters and you have this very strong storyline where Villanelle is, you know, she's gay. She's like with women and you have like Eve and her like sort of growing obsession with Villanelle and it's very female centric. But then you also have something which is sort of a throwaway thing, which I think is unbelievably well done 
where the gender stereotypes of all the male characters are also flipped on their heads. So you have Sandra O's, uh, you know, best friend and sidekick in the show, who's like the older agent who, you know, that she recruits over to the new secret mm-hmm. agency with her. He's the one carrying the baby into the office in a little mm-hmm. like you know, baby Bjorn and like yeah. he's found himself in this caring role. You have the young uh, office mate who's the son of the s- secret agent crazy woman who's been traveling all over the world and <laughs> yeah. sleeping with all sorts of men. <laughs> and he's the one like Facebook stalking like women on the Internet because he's really insecure in his like relationship status. You have Sandra O's husband who is has a, a, a basically a caring job and is like basically like convening this community in this like nonprofit like bridge tournament or whatever it is that's going on there. <laughs> and, and he's the one making dinners and he's the one bringing notes on the Tupperware like heat this up properly, darling. Otherwise, it's not going to taste good. You know, they've basically done with the men in this show what they do with women in every show, which is basically like, say, like, yeah, this is you're you're over here. You're over here, guys. You might be fun and you might be interesting, but you're over here. Mm-hmm. And the women are all in front. Did you notice Does that? Does the uh, reverse Bechdel test? Like, is there is there a scene where two guys are talking to each other and it's not about a woman? But Toby, like you, you pointed that out in a note to me, right? You noticed that sort of reversal of the gender roles in the show. Yeah, I mean, it, the women, for the most part, hold the power. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't really like the second half of the show, but one of the things is that Villanelle, like, ends up being sort of like the James Bondish or, or you know, Jason Bourne, like, getting the crap beat out of them and, mm-hmm. and keeping on going, you know, so they're, she's all busted up. And, uh, you know, the only guy who kind of, other than, like, the Russians who kind of have this Russian thing, uh, but the only, like... <laughs> You know, it's like, oh, you know, whatever. Um, the one macho guy who who shows up with her, like, rival from the the prison and stuff, and he's, like, calling them sausage, I guess. Mm, yep. It's, like, his little term of endearment. And he, he just, he comes off as such a dick. Yeah. And then they kill him. Yeah. And then the other thing is, uh, what's his face? Bill the traitor. Yeah. He's kind of like every, like, weak, cringing damsel in distress from all these movies and that he's just like he can't do anything to help himself he just (laughs) hides and runs and hides and runs and panics and just relies on somebody else to save him all the time he's like PETA in the Hunger Games yeah Yeah. so it's I I thought there's a lot of really clever stuff yeah but I just kind of felt like the second part of it just became fairly conventional, mm. um, whereas the first part I thought was not conventional. And and I thought that was kind of disappointing. Now, Laura Villanelle, uh, the character, she's set up as a psychopath. I mean, that's the setup that yeah. we see, like her inability mm-hmm. to express normal emotions, her ability to just like, you know, killing people is a job for her. Mm-hmm. And then we see these really intense emotional childlike moments it's a really interesting character study she has her relationship with constantine she has her fascination with eve even in the way that she sort of like puts her clothing together it's like sort of very Mm -hmm. like childlike and sweet and you do see in moments where like her eyes like completely fill with tears in a moment do you think this is i'm asking you your opinion you're not a writer on the show obviously is that what a psychopath looks like to you like, what do you think she's all about? That, that was the part. I didn't ring totally true for me because I felt like she clearly had obviously no emotion and no regrets about killing people. But 
I think what you get to as the show moves on is that, you know, she does have a weakness and she does have a vulnerability and she does have a way emotionally that she lets her guard down. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, that was the part as the show evolved, you know, that I was like, well, I mean, she's, she's clearly got this, uh, you know, cold blooded killer assassin thing going on, but she's also pretty complex. And and you see, she's kind of, you know, pretty damaged. And that comes out when you start to see, how she wants to relate to other women romantically Mm. and you know why maybe that is because there was some talk about uh, what happened to her before when before she got to the college where she met the woman the French professor yep her teacher and what had happened to her before she came there um there was some hints about that so I think you know I don't know she's like a psychopath or she's somebody that was just so damaged that she was seeking validation and seeking somebody to approve of her in a way. And so she was able to turn off her emotions in such a way that she could do these horrible things. But she also seemed to kind of get off on the killing. Um, You know, it it, it seemed like there was some sort of a sexual component to it as well in some of the killings that she did. She has a thing for bathrooms. Kevin, did it remind you at all of Perry Smith? Did it remind me all of Perry Smith from In Cold Blood? Yeah, we just talked about this a couple days ago. Not really? What What are you thinking? Well, I just, I, I, it didn't occur to me until Laura was talking about it, but about how she, she's vulnerable in certain ways. Like there's certainly things that she kind of likes and wants to get across about herself, but this total lack of like any kind of compunction whatsoever about just murdering people. It's almost like a childlike approach to murder, right? So like kids don't think about consequences when they do things. Children don't. Mm -hmm. And we say like the definition of like a psychopath is that like there's no regard for consequences, no regret or whatever. It's one of the things. But like it's almost like she's like a childlike component to it. Like she's stunted. Because she's also, yeah. she cares very much about yeah. people caring about her. But she's a completely different kind of assassin than we've ever seen before. Because either it's like this brooding, uh, damaged, uh, scarred, scarred yeah, <laughs> guy, or the the cool assassin who's just all professional, or it's, wears all black, right? Or it's like the psychopath who is playing with a knife and could oh, you like the know, Javier Bardem yes you know no, just no country it, for old ex- men. that's exactly who I was the thinking the scariest of. assassin in the history of film yeah <laughs> and this is somebody who is both dangerous mm-hmm. but also funny mm-hmm. yeah talk fun about the to comedy watch. talk about the comedy Look, in the, the show the, she is funny the dialogue <laughs> reminded me of Buffy the Vampire Slayer at its best <laughs> yeah where it's just, it's a little campy. Mm-hmm. Not, I don't mean campy. It's 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 smart. It just really just makes some of the the scenes right. And I think it's it was one. It's one of the strongest parts of the. That's actually a really the, strong the comparison. And I think that one of the scenes where that sticks out a lot, where the Buffy comparison is spot on, is the scene in which Villanelle breaks into uh, Sandra O. Oh, Eve's house mm-hmm. and yeah. just wants to have dinner with her. Mm-hmm. And they're sitting and having this super tense dinner, and they're eating the warmed up shepherd's pie that was just like mm-hmm. in the you know container. Mm-hmm. And Sandra Oh is terrified and she's wearing that stupid dress and she's terrified and but she's kind of like got it together. It reminded me a lot of the Buffy Spike dynamic when he was still scary uh-huh. but fascinated with her. Remember uh-huh. that whole dynamic yes. where she's like And then you remember the 
question that she asks her. Which is? Is that sweater and shirt all one piece? Is that a, is, yeah. That, that was a great line. How does that work? How does that work? You know? And you're just is like, it, ha, ha, ha. You, you know, is as, that a shirt connected to a sweater? Is that a sweater? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, which is just very kind of droll in any kind of, in any show. Yeah. But it also... It isn't just for for comic relief or anything. That's her character, right? It's yeah. sort of the balance of being childish and fun and really enjoying this in a sick kind of way, right? With also being menacing. So, why do you think that Eve is pursuing Villanelle? What do you think? She, what do you think's in it for oh, her? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna defer to the other panelists. To try Laura, to come what do up you think? There. Why is Eve obsessed with Villanelle? Let's not talk about Villanelle's obsession. I think I think that's um, established that Villanelle just becomes obsessed with things kind of randomly in a childlike way. I think. Well, it's the hair. The hair is obviously the hair, part I of think, it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you have good hair. That's how it all started. Um, you know, I don't. I, I think you know. In the beginning, we get the sense that Eve as it wasn't necessarily just Villanelle that she had a fascination with female assassins mm. and assassins, and she was somebody that had been pigeonholed into a job that was you know something that was kind of beneath her intellect, and she was frustrated with that and wanting to find a way to do what she was capable of doing. And so she was kind of doing this on the side. Um, But I think with Villanelle, it's because she realizes, I think she senses that she's onto something. She just seems to be fascinated with the fact that this woman is doing this and that nobody else but her suspects that it is the same person, that it's connected, that it's linked. And I think it's almost like her opportunity to prove herself right. and, and show what she's capable of doing. One of the things that really struck me was that uh, penultimate scene where uh, they finally meet in Villanelle's apartment and Sandra O says, I think about you all the time. And Villanelle says, well, I masturbate about you all the time. And she, and, is, <laughs> and, That's a little far. It's a little yes, much. But, yeah. I, but I kind of feel like, you know, I think the show is teasing that for Eve it might be sexual or something, but I don't think it is. I mean, I think no. that that is the imagery there. I think that that's, that's kind of, you know, they're, they're sort of playing it out that way because that's certainly a lot, big part of Villanelle's motivation. I think that for Eve it is deeper. It's about finding, you know, we hear her backstory, raised in Connecticut. Got this job, but she's like, Captain Ahab, and yeah, I was Villanelle's about to say it's the white whale. Yeah, yeah, white yeah. Whale. yeah, and yeah. and but just sort of the honesty around, like I think about you all the time. You think about something you're pursuing, you know, think about like whatever your dumb work situation where mm-hmm. there's like somebody you hate and you wish they would get fired. Like it's all you can think about, right? Hey, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just mean what gen- talking about? <laughs> generally speaking, like the things that we wish for, the things that we're pursuing, that like it is, it does occupy us, like. Mm-hmm. Wait, the first thing that comes to mind for you is I wish that person at work would be fired. What I'm saying <laughs> what I'm saying is I understand that it, it doesn't have to be about sex for her for it to be obsessive. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I don't think it's about sex at all. It's in the whole thing at the end is she's just she's using what she knows Villanelle's weaknesses vis-a-vis her yep. to yeah. like get her into a position where she can stick the knife in. You mean into bed? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What, yeah, what, what did you think much. of the ending, Toby? I know that the last time we communicated about this, you hadn't yet seen the ending yet of season one. What did you think? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I sort of, again, I, I, I got really, it was like half the HBO shows that I feel like I watch, which is I feel like the beginning is like really cool and I'm totally into it. And then when they're trying to like bring it to, you know, when it goes to the, the second and third acts, it gets kind of weaker and weaker and... I, I thought it was okay. I, I think they got themselves into a situation, and I think I, I wrote that in the email to you, where 
it seemed like anything was possible. Mm-hmm. Like during the whole course of the thing, there's just all these things that happen that kind of pull the rug under you out from under you a little bit so that you come to think that like, you know, Sandra O's boss could actually be in cahoots with the bad guys and, mm-hmm. you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, I think that makes it really hard to have a good ending yeah, because there's, it's, it's really hard to surprise people or be like, I never saw that coming when in fact it seems like anything could happen and that would kind of work within the logic of the story that you're telling. It's kind of so, like it's kind of like the lost problem. People die and then they come back because of all this like weird timeline stuff. And it's like suddenly like you don't care about the characters anymore because if they die, you know, they might come back or whatever. I think it's like the opposite of the Game of Thrones thing. Not that I've watched it, but my understanding is main characters just die all the time. Yeah. So you're you're always kind of like you don't have that confidence that you do like when uh, at the end of one of the episodes is when Villanelle's coming up on Eve. And like has the gun out, and then I guess everything goes black. And you're like, is it possible that Eve was killed on episode four of an eight episode series? Well, it is called Killing Eve. <laughs> <laughs> There's other people in that car, Toby. <laughs> but she was the one who was looking scared. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin, what do you think at the end? I liked it. I mean, it did sort of leave obviously left things open for season two when we know they've already picked up a season two uh, for this show. I liked it. I mean, there are some questions, you know, about like, was this like the best way to bring the resolution to these two characters who have been, you know, chasing each other to have them sort of like lie peacefully in bed across from one another? Because of, of all the. And then that's not how it ends, though. No, it ends with the, <laughs> the stabbing. And then the paper towel trying to clean up the mess. Trying to clean up the, the mess. immediate regret of the stabbing. Oh, I love the stabbing. And she says. Don't pull the knife out. Just, I pulled the knife out. So what did I just say? I mean, it just it's its like, again, that crackling dialogue just keeps going th- throughout it. So, What did you think of the ending, Laura? Honestly, I was kind of expecting something a little bit more. I kept thinking that Eve's boss was going to have some bigger role in it, that there was going to be some more of a bigger conspiracy going on with the Russians. And, um, the and then I was like, I understand the ending. It makes sense. I get it. But I just felt like, the buildup was so much better to me mm. than the ending. I was like, oh. And then the old lady comes in. She's like, she's gone. And I'm like, really? I really, <laughs> really liked the ending. I thought it was really clever because it sort of, uh, for me, summed up their story well. Like Sandra O oh, got the prize and then immediately realized, like, I don't actually want this to be over. Right? Mm-hmm. Because the chase was the passion for her. I wished that that was where the whole series ended. I am deathly afraid of what season two would be. I don't give a shit about the 12. Mm-hmm. I don't give a shit about the bigger conspiracies. I really don't. And for me, if anything, that was where the show started to lose its way a little bit, was like hinting at this larger thing. I don't care about that. I care about these two characters and the sort of cat and mouse stuff and the way that it plays out. That's what I care about because that's that's the foundation the first few episodes were built on. And it was so great. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I, I think what we should do now is do what we do and tell our listeners, should they check out Killing Eve on BBC America? It's available on demand. It's coming to a bunch of other streaming services soon. So if you haven't been able to see it, you will. Uh, Laura Brickard, would you recommend to our listeners they check out Killing Eve? Yeah, thumbs up. I was recommending it to people tonight. Every uh, you know, I've recommended it to uh, several different people. It was fun. It was a really fun 
smart show to watch. The contrast between, you know, cold killing assassin and comedy and the dialogue and just the the actors that were in this, it was it was great. I mean, I did like it. Like I said, the ending fell a little flat for me, but overall the series itself was uh, very enjoyable. Toby Ball, you've already expressed you have some mixed feelings. So where are you in the thumbs up or thumbs down on Killing Eve from BBC America? So I think first three episodes, huge thumbs up. Last five episodes, kind of a thumbs down. I think on the whole, I'd probably give it a thumbs up. But again, it's like True Detective season one. It was just like the buildup was so great. And then what they did with it afterwards, I don't, I don't think lived up to it. So where are you? Thumbs up or thumbs you down, You said Toby? thumbs up. I said, I said I'm like a mild thumbs up. Mild thumbs up. All right. Well, I'm going to give it a very strong thumbs up. I think the flaws are outweighed by the upsides. The performances are incredible. A lot of creativity in the writing. And I do think it is rare to see something on TV, especially like a series like this, and see so many things that I have never seen before. And there was a lot of that in the show. So I am giving Killing Eve a strenuous thumbs up. What about you, Kevin? Uh, I'm giving it a thumbs up as well. I mean, there's so many things that we didn't even touch on. For one, did you know that this is the first TV show in 10 years where every subsequent week the ratings went up? Really? As opposed to premiering high and going down? Because of people talking about it. Word of mouth. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So there's something really good here. I, I like the the characters and the performances, and I know what people say about Hollywood and their right, about the quantity of good roles for actresses Mm -hmm. in the industry, and I don't know about the quantity, but we have a lot of quality performances going on right now between Elizabeth Moss and The Handmaid's Tale and Westworld, Mm -hmm. and we got two great leads here, uh, Sandra Oh and Jamie Comer, and I think that they're just great to watch, and it's just an interesting, a really interesting antagonist with this assassin. Who else, have you ever seen an assassin slow down a killing just to find out who the maker of the uh, uh, of the, the bedspread bed, bed spread is? <laughs> I mean, you don't have to do that if you go to brooklinen.com. <laughs> you can upgrade your nightly routine with Brooklyn and name right. the winner of the best online betting category of good housekeeping. Brooklinen is the fastest growing betting brand in the world with over 20,000 five-star reviews. Can you imagine if after that super violent killing and Killing Eve where she killed the guy in the eye with her fancy hairpin syringe thing, mm-hmm. before she that she was like, who makes this bread spread? And he was like, Brooklyn it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and instead of writing that person's name down she would, on her hand, she would write brooklinen.com promo code CWO. That's right. That's how you would go about doing it. I mean, I certainly like my Brooklyn and Sheets, Rebecca, they're also your Brooklyn and Sheets. I love Brooklyn and Sheets. And you know what? Now that we've transitioned over to summer, mm-hmm. we've put like the uh, percale Brooklyn and Sheets on the bed and they're crisp. And you get them every night and they're nice and cool. And then when you make the bed in the morning, they're crisp again. I love the Brooklyn and Sheets. Such high quality sheets. I don't know how we'd live without them. I, we're we're going to be in hotels. It's not going to be as morning. good yeah, as our just, Brooklyn and Sheets. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're like luxury hotel sheets. I used sheets, to look but... forward to staying in nice hotels. Now I look forward to going back to my own bed at home and my Brooklyn and Sheets. Our Brooklyn and Sheets are the best, most comfortable sheets that we've ever slept on. Brooklinen.com has an exclusive offer for our listeners. Get $20 off and free shipping when you use promo code CWO at Brooklinen.com. Brooklinen is so confident 
they will offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and comforters. The only way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use promo code CWO at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code CWO. Brooklinen. These are the best sheets ever. What else you got, Kevin? Well, you know, it's summer. I'd rather be outside doing things, enjoying the warm weather, which is why I love me some Daily Harvest. Ooh, Daily Harvest. It's a subscription service that makes healthy eating easy with delicious plant-based foods that are ready in as little as 30 seconds. So they have all sorts of kinds of things, lattes and soups, but... It's smoothie weather right now. And Laura, I know that you love yourself a good Daily Harvest smoothie. I do. And there's so many different flavors to choose from. Like there's some in the winter that feel a little bit more, you know, a little heartier to me um, with the avocado and stuff. And in the summer, they they have the, there's one that has like watermelon in it that's super refreshing. Um, And there's just so many to choose from. They're awesome. And I love the fact that they come they're all packaged up. They're all frozen. You put them in the freezer. It's super easy to make. You just like add milk or even yeah, water or whatever. Yeah. For those other ones, you could add like a coconut water or something and really mm. jazz it up. Yeah. They're great. So go to daily-harvest.com and enter promo code CRIME, crime. to get three cups free in your first box. That's promo code CRIME, crime. for three free Daily Harvest cups at daily-harvest.com. Daily-harvest.com. And now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of the week. An FBI agent in Denver impressed the other dancers at the Mile High Bar when he did a backflip. But he did more than stick the landing. While he was upside down, his service weapon fell out of its holster and onto the dance floor. Trying to play it cool, the agent grabbed it and then the gun went off hitting a fellow spectator slash dancer in the leg. Fortunately, the spectator is going to be okay. Someone captured the flip and fire on video where you can see the off-duty agent put up his hands to say, my bad. (laughs) Authorities looking to see if alcohol was a contributing factor in this shooting. You think? Uh, <laughs> oh no, Laura Bricker, this was a pretty dangerous dance move. Uh, what is your most dangerous dance move? Pretty much any time I try to dance because I have no rhythm. So <laughs> um, it's dangerous to the eyes. Uh, it's just bad. What about you, Toby Ball? What is your most dangerous dance move? You know, I this will probably be a surprise to you, but I I don't often bring the funk to the dance floor. Really? Um, when I do, I think my most effective dancing is tends to be uh, sarcastic imitation of other people's dancing. Mm. So it's probably the the razor sharp incision of my uh, imitation moves. He's a dance bully is what I'm hearing. Kevin, what about mm, you? What is your most, <laughs> what is your most dangerous dance move? Okay, I, have this move. I don't know. What do you call this when you do it like this? Where you oh. make like a little chicken wing kind of thing? And yeah. You, kinda... you sort of have like the hand in the back of your head and you like like whip the elbow yeah, backwards. Yeah, you have the elbow sticking right out. Yeah, yeah. I did that one time and I stuck it right out and I hit a woman walking the other way yes. behind me. Oh, right nice. in the face. Yes. Yeah. Check yes. her out. Should have been paying attention. Uh, Should have been paying. Good, good thing I wasn't a rich podcaster then. She might have tried to sue me. <laughs> rich? Yeah. Uh, don't put it out there that we're rich podcasters because A, we're not. And B. But we're sleeping on those Brooklyn and sheets. <laughs> <laughs> Makes you feel rich. Yeah. All right, Laura Bricker, before we end the show tonight, do we have a cat of the week this week? <laughs> yes, we do. It's from Joe. 
I come from the land down under, and I have been an avid listener for many years. As your show appears in my podcast feed, I must listen to it. I came home from work this afternoon and was greeted by the sight of our dog, Henry, a Shih Tzu Maltese cross, and our cat, Shelton, not sure of the breed, possibly an Australian mist, a breed I've never heard of, sitting on the back deck. What a sight. They looked like a pair of good old boys chatting about old times. They are both around nine years old and have grown up together. They are best friends. My wife got them before I met her, and we've been together four and a half years. The first time I went to her place, they both took an instant liking to me, and after that, she knew I was a keeper because the cat doesn't like anyone. So Joe was approved by the cat, which is, you know, cats are good indicators of character. He sent a lovely photo of these cats, the the cat and the dog. They look very, very comfortable. I have to say, uh, Joe, I love it that you love the pets that your wife brought with you to the relationship. The same was not true when Kevin and I got together. When we got together, I had two cats. And shortly after we got together, I had no cats. Because I'm allergic. Not because I hate cats. Oh, (laughs) did you have to give them away? I did. And Kevin's cat allergy, I think, is fueled by hate. (laughs) Wait, you didn't give them away to strangers. You gave them away to loved ones. Yes, and one of them was quickly eaten by a coyote. Shit. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That's sad. All nice right. job, Kevin. <laughs> Laura Bricker, if people down under or otherwise want to submit their cats, dogs, or other animals to you for consideration for Cat Slash Pet of the Week, how can they find you online? At Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, if people want to reach out to you and, I don't know, just revel in your Toby Ballness, how can they find you on Twitter? It's always encouraged, and it's at Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, who want to reach out to you online and perhaps berate you for your hatred of cats that has turned into an allergy? Just not that way. How it's, can they find you on Twitter? It's at Kevin P. Flynn. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy. You can tweet to our show at Crime Writers On and join the fine folks on the official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Or just leave her a comment on our regular old boring Facebook page. You can support us at patreon.com slash partners in crime media to hear Toby's exclusive Balls Deep book club podcast in the next coming days, just like days after the show drops. It's worth supporting the show because you will be hearing a podcast about In Cold Blood by Truman Capote. You can go to our website and sign up for our newsletter. You can also get ad-free content, which is exclusive, including our special podcast, Mary with Podcast, at stitcherpremium.com slash crime. Our theme song was performed by Rocksteady Freddy and the New York Sky Jazz Ensemble. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, formerly known as Studio C, where jurors who disagree are held in contempt and charged with a felony. No, I'm just kidding. They're not, because that is not a thing that should happen, ever. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. I got poison ivy, so I've been taking prednisone, mm. which means oh. I don't sleep. So I've slept like seven hours the last two nights. Ugh. So I'm like a little delirious. Doesn't that make you angry too, prednisone? No. It, it, makes my, it makes my friend super angry when she takes it. The, she has to, the she steroid can't take rage? It. Ask the, so ask the pizza guy who I beat up earlier today. <laughs> you said 25 minutes, God damn it! Man, gotta have his roni. Don't make me wait. You must avoid the noise. <laughs> Partners in crime media. 
Say goodbye to expensive TV bills. Philo is the simple, powerful app for watching TV. You get access to more than 35 of your favorite entertainment channels, as well as live TV on demand and unlimited recording, all for only $16 a month. No contract needed. And there's never been a better deal. Start your free trial instantly with just a phone number. No credit card needed. Visit go.philo.com slash crime. crime. That's go.philo.com. P-H-I-L-O dot com slash crime, crime or text the word crime to 74456. I'm what you might call very good at hide and seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite. Ha, found you. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary.